Yeah, it's as good as I thought it would be. <laughs> good choice of uh, song as well with the antiphonal back and forth when we have been, Aaron and I have just been listening to ourselves over the last seven weeks. <laughs> um, what a joy it is to be in your presence and to be gathered as God's people. Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, anticipation, as I mentioned to the kids, um, it's defined as to give advanced thought and discussion or treatment to. It's also uh, to look forward, to look forward to as certain. And for some of us who are old enough, we hear that word anticipation and we think of the classic Heinz commercial in Carly Simon's voice, right, singing anticipation because we knew that Heinz ketchup was the taste that was worth the wait. But over the last seven weeks, everyone has been living with a great deal of anticipation. All of us, in some form or fashion. But that anticipation, if we're honest, has been both positive and negative. In other words, there has been a lot of fearful anticipation, as well as eager anticipation. There's been a lot of thought and consideration and treatment to and looking forward to with certainty loss of life, loss of physical well-being, the loss of jobs, the loss of momentary resources, the loss of comfort, the loss maybe of freedom. And at the same time, there's also been a lot of advanced thought and consideration and, and discussion and treatment to and looking forward to with certainty the relaxation of guidelines the, due to the decreased numbers that, that we've been seeing on a weekly basis. We've anticipated successful treatment plans. Some have been anticipating a vaccine. We've been Anticipating a reopening of businesses. We've been anticipating getting back to normal. And not just simply adjusting to any type of so-called new normal. We've anticipated routines. We've anticipated interacting socially. And most of all, probably for all of us, we've anticipated this. We've anticipated being together in one room. And though it's still not the same and there are those that we miss, it's still good. It's good to be here. And the question that I want to ask though is, where does that anticipation come from? Where does the anticipation come from, whether it's eager or fearful? And the answer is it comes from what we believe. It grows out of our beliefs. And what, is, what does anticipation lead to? And the answer is it leads to certain decisions. It leads to certain actions. 
a wide variety of both. And where, well, and, and these different beliefs and these different types of anticipation and these different actions and decisions have not only created tension within us, but in many ways they've created tension and even battles between people. And I believe these tensions and battles are even more pronounced when the primary authority to which we appeal for the truth that we desire and for the security that we seek and the anticipation that we have and possess and the decisions we make. It's more pronounced when it comes from or based upon the wisdom of man or when we look to the wisdom of man rather than the wisdom of God. And it happens regardless of our stances. It happens regardless of of our positions or our convictions. In other words, eager anticipation based upon the wisdom of men or man is no different than fearful anticipation based upon the wisdom of man. One may be positive and one may be negative, but both are short-sighted and based upon temporal things. And this is why, as I mentioned to the the children, this is why the author of Hebrews doesn't encourage the original readers that he was writing to who are facing this escalating persecution and this pressure from uh, the religious leaders and their Jewish friends and family. He doesn't appeal to or cause them to eagerly wait improvement in their circumstances. He doesn't tell them to eagerly await the the changes that might be brought about through the government or through the religious establishment or the different structures and mandates and protections that they might provide. He instead points them to eagerly anticipate and wait for Christ and to live in light of that return and live in light of their salvation, live in light of the fact that He is going to return. And brothers and sisters, that is the same call for us tonight. The same call for us in, in these days ahead. Eagerly awaiting Him. And so our text tonight again, we've read from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 23 to 28. And our outline is going to look like this. Three points that, that the author focuses on. One is one death. Second is one offering. And the third is three appearances. Okay? One death, one offering, and three appearances. And I know we've already read it, but we're here together. And I haven't been able to say this. I want us to stand in the honor of God's word. Stand together and let's hear from his word one more time so that it's fresh in our minds as we walk through the passage tonight. All right. So hear now the word of the Lord from Hebrews 9 again. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. 
But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray together. Well, Father, in these moments, please encourage us through your word. Assure us of the good news of the gospel tonight. And may that assurance lead to lifestyles that exhibit an eager anticipation as we wait for Christ's return. And it is in his name and for the sake of his church that I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Probably the most pronounced fear that we all face or that every person faces, and not just in times of pandemic, but at any point in time throughout the course of a person's life, is the fear of death. It's a fear that is no respecter of persons. And that's because, well, it's something that every man, woman, boy, and girl experiences at some point. And that's because it is inevitable. Death is an inevitability. And the writer of Hebrews in verse 27 makes that very clear when he says, It is appointed for man to die once. There's a day that has been reserved for all of us at some point to die. The day is awaiting us. It cannot escape us no matter how well we eat or how much we exercise. It doesn't matter what diet we may be on or what gym we belong to. Death is inevitable. In Genesis chapter 5, we're reminded of that over and over where the words, and he died, occur eight times. And it doesn't matter if it was someone that was 895 years old, 905, 910, or 969 years Or if it's someone who is 40, 45, you get the idea, we all die. And it's a topic we don't like to discuss. We don't like to bring it up. We don't want to sit down and talk about it. We try to avoid it at all costs. We even call funerals today celebrations of life. So we don't have to face the facts. But the author says unequivocally there is only one death and it is certain. But it doesn't stop there. The news gets worse. And he says that not only is there death, but also everyone who dies will also face judgment. He says that like death, it can't be avoided. It is no respecter of persons. So every man, woman, boy, and girl will face the judgment of God. We're not simply going to slip off into oblivion. We're not going to simply be annihilated. Uh, we, We aren't going to have multiple attempts at life and multiple experiences of death to hopefully get it right at some point and improve our ultimate destiny. There's not going to be a do over. And 
there won't be an opportunity for others to pray us into or purchase an eternal upgrade. We will be measured against the standard of God's perfect righteousness. We will be judged for our sin. And the bad news is, the worst news of all is that we will be weighed and measured in regard to that sin. And the expectation and demand of perfect obedience to God's law. And we will all be found wanting. We will be found wanting, falling woefully short of the glory of God. And the consequences of that falling short is eternity in hell. Again, an inevitability. Falling short, experiencing eternity in hell, experiencing the wrath of God, paying the eternal debt that was owed to a holy God for an offense against Him. That, again, that isn't just bad news. That's, that's the worst news we could possibly hear. But it doesn't end there. Thanks be to God that that's not where He stops. Because He continues on. He continues to announce the best news we've ever heard as well. That best news that we heard last week, he continues to describe for us. And he does so in verse 27 when he says there is not only one death, but there's one offering. One offering. And he says, Christ offered himself once to bear the sins of many. It was, as we've been talking about for the last several months, the Lord Jesus in and of himself, did what we could never do for ourselves. He did what the Old Testament sacrificial system could never do. As a matter of fact, he fulfilled and accomplished what the priesthood and the sacrificial system pointed to and what they were copies of. The Old Testament sacrifices, as we mentioned in the last couple of weeks, the Old Testament sacrifices were able to, and even in our study of Leviticus, they were able to cleanse externally and ritually. And by doing so, the people, by cleansing the people, by cleansing the tabernacle, by cleansing everything within the tabernacle, it provided a limited access in regards to fellowship with God. But the Lord Jesus Christ and His offering did far more. He was far better than anything else that had preceded. And there was nothing ever to be like it again. Because what He did and through His blood is He cleansed internally and spiritually, thoroughly and completely all of those who look to Him in faith. Cleanses them of their sin, cleanses them of their guilt. It is a once for all sacrifice that He made on the cross, offering Himself in order that we would be washed with His blood. And having been washed... We ourselves, as the people of God, become the dwelling place of the Spirit. That is absolutely phenomenal. It's through Christ and Christ alone that we have unlimited access 
that our fellowship with God is possible. Unlike the priests who had to daily make sacrifices, unlike the priests who had to repeatedly, year after year, take the blood of the bull and the blood of the goat and enter into the most holy place in the tabernacle on the Day of Atonement, Christ came and offered himself once for all. A once-for-all sacrifice. His eternal blood covered a multitude of eternal sins. Again, on behalf of all of those who look to Him in faith. The offer of salvation is there. His sacrifice at the cross worked backward to pay for the sins of all those that were called out by by the Lord prior to the foundation of the world. And it pays forward for all the sins of His people until He returns. And that brings us to these three appearances. His first appearance, of course, is the incarnation. That's the incarnation. In verse 26, it says, He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of of himself. Again, the writer has been saying this over and over again since chapter 1 that the eternal Son took on flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal Son became a man, and, and becoming a man, he learned obedience and he fulfilled as a human being what was necessary to be our perfect sub- substitute, our perfect sacrifice, and our perfect high priest. He experienced our every weakness. He experienced every temptation that we have ever faced to apostatize and forsake the Father. He identified with us in every way except our sin. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might be the righteousness of God. His second appearance, the writer says, in verse 24, was his ascension. It's not an appearance to us, but it's an appearance before the Father. He says, for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And we're going to say this in just a minute when we confess our common faith, but we believe that the third day he rose again from the dead And ascended into a heaven where he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. His sacrificial work being done. He now intercedes for us. Unlike the the priest who carried the blood of the bull and the goat into the most holy places erected by the Israelites. Jesus presented himself before the Father. As that once for all sacrifice, he went into, into heaven, into, that, into the holiest of holies, the most holy place, not made with hands. And presented himself and he sat down and intercedes for us as our mediator, as our advocate. As we sang last week, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love and whoever lives and pleads for me. My name, your name, graven on his hands. Our names written on his heart. 
And we know while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. In other words, there are no accusations to be made against us. Because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That song also says, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Where where do we look? Upward we look. And we see him there. The one who made an end of all our sin. Because he is a sinless Savior died. Our sinful souls are counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon. I I always want to say, pardon me? Well, his third appearance involves his coming again. In verse 28, it says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Having dealt with the penalty and the power of sin during his first appearance through the death on the cross... He, has, he, as the bridegroom, will one day return for His bride, for His church, in the fullness of time, to complete our salvation and to eliminate the presence of sin forever. In other words, redemptive history will be consummated in that every detail that the Lord has had planned from the beginning will come about and will be finished in its fullest and we will sit and eat and drink with him we will see him as he is we will celebrate we will revel we will bask in the light of his presence Revelation 21 It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Hallelujah. What a blessed hope. What a blessed hope we need to hear in the midst of the young. What a day of rejoicing that would be. But in the meantime, how do we live? How should we now live in the light of this one death and one offering and three appearances? What does it look like for us? One pastor that I read this week said this. He said, eagerly waiting captures what it means to live with zeal and holiness and piety to the glory of God. That we would have an eagerness and a distinctiveness and a devoted commitment to obedience to the Lord. 
And the extent to which those things are missing in our lives is due at least in part to a lack of eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus. Because these two words capture what it means to live the Christian life with hope. So I want to ask us a few questions. I, I, I want to end tonight by, by presenting some questions for all of us. I'm, going to, I'm of course going to word these as, as we and us, but it allow you to, to use the first person as you consider these things. In light of our current circumstances, in light of the last couple of months, and in light of our passage. First is this, what has our last couple months and this pandemic revealed about ourselves? Has it revealed that we are eagerly waiting for the Lord? Has it revealed that we are eagerly anticipating His return? Has it revealed that we are looking forward to the day when He will come and gather us to Himself and make all things new? Has it revealed that we anticipate or eagerly await for eternity and dwelling with the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth? Or has it revealed that we have grown to love this life? And this world so much that we think, talk, and act as if this is all there is. And if this is all there is, or if it, actually if there's more to come, it really pales in comparison to what we're experiencing right now. And we don't want to lose it. Who or what are we fearing? Who or what are we trusting? In who or what have, or in whom or what have we placed our hope? Who or what are we eagerly waiting for or anticipating more than Christ's return? Who or what are we investing in? And what investments are we protecting? And are they eternal or temporal? What priorities are we making and maintaining? What do we consider essential and non-essential? Are there things of which we need to repent are there things of which and about which we need and we can rejoice? What adjustments do we need to make as believers in Christ to reflect our eager anticipation, hope, trust, and rest? This one death this one offering and these three appearances tell us that there is no one and nothing that we should rest in more, trust more, place our hope in more, and anticipate seeing more than Jesus.
He has been and has always been, is, and will always be for us. His beloved. For those whom He died. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And He says, surely I am coming soon. To which we should respond both in our words and in our actions. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's go to prayer. Father, would you now by your word and by your spirit. Help us to see and to respond to our current circumstances. As a part of your divinely ordained, hope-filled path that we are walking in our journey of being conformed into the image of Christ. May we rest in, trust in, place our hope in, and anticipate seeing Jesus more than anything or anything, anyone else. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. And amen. And heard the news of the gospel.